The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to the Measure Success Podcast, where we feature top leaders on how they measure success in their business and life. Now, let's learn from their experiences. Carl J. Cox here. I'm the host of the Measure Success Podcast, where I talk with top leaders about effective strategies that inspire success. This episode is brought to us today by Opportunity International. Opportunity International is a global nonprofit working to end extreme poverty by empowering people with an opportunity. They provide small loans and training so individuals can grow their businesses, send their kids to school, and work their way out of poverty once and for all. So go to opportunity.org to create an opportunity for someone to change their life forever. Uh, at the 40, 40 Strategy, this is one of our key organizations that we donate to on a regular basis, and we encourage you to look the same for them. They do an amazing job. Um, with that, I'd like to move forward to our shout out who introduced uh, Michelle Williams, who is our guest today, um, Jessica Yarbrough. Um, Jessica, who develops powerful business growth strategies made simple for consultants, coaches, and small businesses so they can make a greater difference. I encourage you to learn more at jescoyarbro.com. Thank you, Jessica, for making this introduction to Michelle. And, and now we get to talk about Michelle Williams. Michelle Williams is the owner of Scarlet Thread Consulting. Uh, she's a speaker, podcaster, author, and strategic business coach serving the interior design industry. Her work helps businesses owners create strategic plans that are actionable, manage their business and finances properly and develop a framework for decision-making that allows for a laser focus. As a result of working with Michelle, her clients reduce their workload, increase their bottom line and reclaim their joy time, which uh, joy and time, I should say. Um, she has a signature program, program called Aim with Intent, where she focuses with five strategies that lead to wild success, strategies of foundation, intention, people, process and profits. She's also a certified coach in Profit First and Fix This Next methodologies. Uh, you can already mention her prod, podcast host, Profit is Choice, and she earned a BS and Bachelor of Science in Management Information Systems and Administrative Management from the University of South Carolina. Michelle, thank you so much for being the, uh, a guest on the Measure Success podcast. Thank you for having me, Carl. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. And and we will say up front, for those who are watching and listening, I did not give Michelle the fair warning that I was going to wear a tie today. I don't normally wear ties, and, um, and but unfortunately, this is our holiday edition. That's why we have one of the sponsors being for um, uh, Opportunity International. And so, um, but Michelle, you're working that hat great. You look working perfect. Working that hat. You got, <laughs> so, you got your Scarlet Thread Consulting, which is absolutely awesome. And, and you got all your books behind. We are, we are both uh, love to learn and to gain new knowledge. Um, Michelle, for our audience, tell people more about who Scarlet Thread Consulting and what, what do you do? Sure. So I am a business coach and strategist, as you mentioned. And Scarlet Thread Consulting, so my firm first started out, I know we'll talk about the story later, but it started out as Scarlet Thread Interiors, and then it morphed into Scarlet Thread Consulting. And so what I do is I work with those in the interior design industry. So it could be interior designers, decorators, stagers, drapery workrooms. I've worked with home builders, installers, upholsterers, people in that creative industry, and I really work with them to help them grow slash scale their business in a way that fits their lifestyle. Mm -hmm. um, because as you know, as well as I do, there's more than one way to grow and scale a business, right? It doesn't have to look the same for everybody. And so I really like working with them to understand their God-given talents and their dreams and their goals, and then create a business that fits into their life instead of forcing their life to fit into their business. I think that's such an important thing. And so many times where um, 
we, we follow our dreams, so to speak. Right. And we, we're finally doing something we want to do. And then next thing we realize we hate our dream <laughs> right? right? because we've overworked ourselves. We're trying to figure out how to make it work. And, and I love it, how you're trying to tie together the passion is still having meeting within whatever lifestyle they're choosing. Right. So right. for some 60 hours is going to be comfortable and they feel good with that. While others like, no, I just literally want to work three to four days a week. Right. And, and, and make a, um, that's how I'm going to make a difference in the world. Right. Uh, I love it how you've done that difference. So why don't we go in through a little bit, you know, you, you, this, you didn't just start doing this yesterday. You've been doing this for quite a while, Michelle, tell us a little bit about that maturation, your own self of how you got to this location. I, I remember you talked about, you bought a school, you sold a school, you know, g- yeah. give our audience more insights. It's been behind crazy. That. You know, I want to say this. So I'm on the not young in, in, in the the idea, like you said, that I've just been doing this. And what I find is interesting is if we allow it, right? So I'm just going to throw a little of my belief system out here. If we allow it, everything that we have done in the past can inform where we move forward in the future, even when it feels disjointed in the moment, right? Mm-hmm. So, and I say that because you mentioned that my degree from the University of South Carolina, go Gamecocks, was in information systems and administrative management. Well, my first job, I wanted to be an accountant. And then I met a bunch of accountants in school and they didn't really want to talk to anybody. So I thought I cannot be an accountant because people don't have enough personality for me. Hey, easy, easy. Michelle, well, you realize I've met real, plenty of accountants. You now, realize my background is in accounting, right? <laughs> well, you realize that mine is a love of accounting. So I, I, I think it was just the class because there are plenty of accountants that I'm friends with now. Um, but at the time, it just felt so insular. Everybody just kind of was keeping to themselves. And that was back when you drew out the T accounts with your red and your black pen. And it was just way too serious for me. And so I loved it, but I didn't feel like that was the path I was supposed to take. Long story short, graduated college, went to work for Dun & Bradstreet Software, which was management science um, accounting at that time. And my first job was to work on an accounts payable system and to do all the support for it. Then I moved on and built a project accounting system for the company. That was my role was a development manager. So building financial software. So I was able to tie it all back together, right? I did that for 10 years. I left, I came home and um, was taking care of a very, very young family. My boys were one and three at the time. Um, And I started making interior window treatments and doing design in a home that we had just built. And um, I had taken some classes while I worked corporate at night because it was an interest to me. And I'd always been crafty. Um, long story short, my neighbors rang my doorbell and asked me if I could make window treatments for them. They would pay me. Okay. I'm sitting at home with my kids. I'm looking for something to do. I'm a do it kind of person. Sure. I'll do that. So I, that's how my business started in the, my bedroom. My husband at one point finally said to me, Michelle, you're not working in our bedroom. We're sleeping in your workroom. You, you got to do something because it kept growing. That business grew. I ended up um, doing interior design for everybody around me. And then, as you mentioned, in 2009, I bought bought into um, the management of a school in Charlotte, North Carolina, called the Custom Home Furnishings Academy. And we were um, a school that taught interior decorating, staging, upholstery, window treatments. And I did a lot of the education And I taught the business courses. I taught how to price without emotion. So I I started teaching all of those things. I put out a magazine every other month and hosted monthly training events um, and drove back and forth. I'm in Atlanta. So I drove back and forth every month and for a week at a time and stayed in North Carolina. Then we sold that school. I had some health issues that required me to get out of that. And I'm. was thinking, how am I, what am I going to do next? And people honestly started calling me and saying, okay, I know you're not doing this anymore, but you've taught us so much. Walk with us, help us go forward. And so I went back and did some coaching education and started my coaching practice back in 20, January of 2013. I'm really focused on helping creatives use all of that talent. Um, because sometimes, yeah, I think I mentioned this to you, Carl, when we spoke one time before, that idea of starving artist, right? Right. And you don't have to starve to be able to be an artist or artistic or to have some creative flair in your business. 
And so I really kind of come in and ask them why they're believing that, like, why, why does that have to be your truth? And um, really working around that. And so now I host a podcast and do um, coaching and education and training around that. I, so there are so many questions I have of, of that story. So first of all, you, you had this traditional corporate job. You had obviously were raising a family, you had two young kids. And so you started moonlighting doing the interior design, right? So, and, and so you start that part when I'm kind of curious, when did you, when did you stop your corporate job? Right. When, when did you have the courage to leave that? And, and yeah, well, so two things happened. One, our company that was back in the eighties and the nineties in the dot com. Oh yes. That I remember that. Yep. And, um, our company got bought out and then bought out and then bought out and they were of the, um, I don't know if you remember those days, but those days were at the end of the year, if you needed to balance everything in the company, you fired everybody and then you turn around and rehire who you needed to bring them back as consultants. So instead of managing properly all year, they did a fire, hire, fire, hire, fire, hire, merge, merge, merge. It's just crazy, right? Yep, yep. Well, I had survived 13 layoffs. Wow. And it got to the point where they were no longer going to build new. They were going to maintain. And I was on the build side. And so I got my walking papers. Um, It was funny. I had just had a review that was excellent, excellent, excellent. We're going to look at a promotion. And then it was, oh, we're not even doing this part anymore. We're going to start phasing it out. So it it happened quickly. Wow. Um, But I started interviewing again to work. The challenge was to just, just real honesty here. I had a one-year-old. I literally got laid off the day before he turned one. Wow. So I had a one-year-old, a three and a half-year-old in Atlanta with no family around to help us. So my husband had a job in IT or in um, uh, software the same way that I did. We each had like an hour drive wherever we were going with traffic. And it, our lifestyle was struggling because we were never home with these little people that we were trying to raise. And I just really felt like I needed to take as much as I'm a go-getter. I never saw myself as stay-at-home mom. That was just nothing wrong with it. It just wasn't the way I had envisioned my life, but everything in me screamed, I cannot, I can't go back to that. I think once I stepped home and our home felt calm, as opposed to taking the kids to daycare in their pajamas, bringing them home and feeding them and putting them back in their pajamas. And all we pretty much got was dinner snuggles if they weren't exhausted and putting them to bed. And everything shifted during that phase when I was looking for a job. And my husband and I were kind of like, yeah, well, I think we're willing to give up six figures a year for to not have to go back to that level of busyness in our home again. But because I'm such a I immediately started looking for so what are things, but this is before the gig economy, right? We're talking right. back in the nineties. This is way before the gig economy. This is before a lot of online. There's not very much on the internet yet. It's not like it is now where that's an easier thing to take on there. You didn't, you didn't, we didn't even have job sharing, but those things just weren't even an opportunity. So right. I started doing things in my own home from those courses that I had taken I started sewing and making things and doing things and just doing it in my own home. And then I lived in in a neighborhood that was brand new. People started coming over to play Bunko and have all the little, you know, bring your kids to play dates and all of that. And they started looking at what I'd done and they, then they were all in new homes. So they were all like, we'll pay you come do it in hours. So I just went through 88 homes in my subdivision and the business kind of blew up around me. Wow. 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 That, that is, uh, so it was through a bit of, I mean, I, that that was an interesting time period, as you mentioned, of the the corporate restructuring, especially in Atlanta, where there's so much um, merger and acquisitions happening on a consistent basis, yes. and, and and just really challenging. And then, of course, there's no sense of culture, right? It's just survival. You know, you just mm-hmm. just like you said, 13 layoffs. That's incredible that you. Yeah, made you're it just waiting for the box to show up at your desk. And I mean, that, we knew we could almost feel it. It was horrible. I mean, you never knew day to day what was going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I um, remember myself having uh, one of the times I didn't get laid off in one of my positions. I had the privilege of then handing out 
200 paychecks. So that was the congratulations. You made it, Carl. And now your next job is to be the one handing it out. Yeah, uh, it's it's miserable. Small. I've yeah. been on both sides of it. It's miserable. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so, so incredible. So you had this kind of necessity and then opportunity. You're like, okay, we want to, even though it wasn't your first thinking, you're like, okay, I really want to do something to help support my family more, be right. more present. Right. Cause you yeah. just, you couldn't see any other way, despite not your intentions. Right. Like you said, I think that's really interesting. Um, but you were able to do that, create this business out of your home, out mm-hmm. of some of your own passion. You obviously educate, you know, that's something I think is pretty if you're listening, you, you hear Michelle continuously saying, I went to school to learn about this. I took a book to learn about this. This is something it sounds like that's really smart right. that you're doing on a, a consistent, regular basis. Mm-hmm. So then you had the academy, right? And and so that must have not been easy. You, now you went back to like being gone a week, a month. Right. And at that point, my oldest was in the ninth grade. So my youngest was in the sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So we we had gone forward a few years from there. Mm-hmm. And, um, so they were able to be a little bit more self-sufficient. My husband, thankfully his job was about two miles from our house. So he was able to be very flexible and get them around where they needed to go. Um, and I did that for four years. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's uh, that's pretty awesome. And so you sold that business and then that's when you got into the coaching and, and, and what, what I really find what's interesting is obviously you were making a difference beforehand because people were reaching out to you. Mm-hmm. Right. To like, yes, help me out. Right. I still want to learn from you because you were helping right. me out beforehand. And so now let's talk about that left brain, right brain for a minute. Right. Okay. So you are dealing with generally your, your background. Well, in, in your design stage is that creative side of the mind, right? Mm-hmm. You're working with people that their passion is creating great art. Right. right. Whatever that might be. You know, it's interesting. Right. Coders are an art, like not all of them feel that way, but you know, there, there's, yes. there's an art right to whenever you're creating something from new and scratch and you're making something that ultimately needs to ship somewhere, right. To right. something, something new. And then as you know, there's, there's two big challenges I see in, in people who are in art. Um, number one is not wanting to ship it because it's not perfect. And then the second thing is it's okay to make a profit from your business because it's actually a show of how, what a difference you've made in the world. I think people, they like, well, it's my art and I don't feel like I'm worthy or I don't know what it is all the time. There's these different parts. You're in this. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about those two things a little bit. The ability of shipping, you know what that means. You know what I mean? Like meaning you've built something and having the confidence to ship it out to your clients. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, and then number two, making a profit and being okay with that. So let's talk about the first thing. How do you help people who are in the creative design world to overcome themselves? And I put that overcome themselves because the product yeah, is there. The quality is, is the there. Challenge, yeah. 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 How do you get, how do you help coach them to it's okay to ship it? So the first thing that I would say is I believe all people are creative. Mm. I just do in some way. And so I try to stress to my listeners on the podcast, as well as those that I coach is some of us may be creative in thought. Some of us may have um, creative ways of expression or of writing, or, you know, you've got authors, you've got all these things. That is a way of being creative. Some of us may be creative in problem solving. Some of us may be creative in the, the creation, if you will, of window treatments or interior design, like thinking. It's all stemming from how we see the world, interact with the world, and are solving problems. That That's what creativity is. Yep. And so when you stand back and realize that everybody has some version of creativity, and now the best thing to do is to figure out when we are working in a way that we are naturally creative, it's going to feel easier than when we are forced into a way of feeling like we need to be creative in somebody else's way, right? Mm-hmm. And now once it becomes easier, we tend to diminish what it's worth because mm-hmm. it came easy to me. Like that's that's what we hear on the creative side all the time. Well, I don't know how to charge for that. It was so easy. Mm-hmm. Well, I then challenge, why does it have to be hard to be valuable, mm-hmm. right? Why does value have to equal difficulty like who who create that way of thinking right and and what if it could be easy and what if it could be natural 
And why could you not make money? And, and if we were building a business, Carl, why would I build a business that was difficult and frustrating and terrible and difficult and all the horrible words that you could put in that no good, very bad day so that I could say now it's worthy of a profit. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense, but we're working in that paradigm. So let's shift it. What if I could create a business where I'm working in my strengths, where I'm doing what I love, where I'm employing people who love what they do and want to be there and understand the why and the mission and the vision and the values. And we're all like the right butts in the right seats doing the right things. What if we created an environment like that? Not only would it be valuable to be there, but what if then what we created was valuable, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. we can start that with one person. It does, we don't have to wait till we have a team of five. We are the ones as the owners of our firms, whatever size it is, whatever it looks like, we're the ones who bring that, right? So I think when I can help people really step back and understand that, that what they are putting into the world is worthy in some way, right? And it's mm. separate from their own personal worth. That's mm. what I want. What we create is separate from our personal worth. And so now we need to look at it and ask ourselves, like, for example, does the plumber hire a plumber to come do his or her plumbing? No, they go in there and do it themselves. But I can tell you really difficult plumbing situations. I don't want to do them. It's worth it to me to hire somebody who knows what they're doing to do it right the first time to come do it. You're talking about changing the lid on the toilet. Yeah, I can do that. But we're going in and doing like my kid flushed like ninjas down the toilet to see if it would come back. Like I, at some point you're outside of my skill set, And then he flushed a second one down to see if it would bring the first one back. I'm like, come on, dude. But again, I'm not going to go do that. Right. But the plumber would have done it himself. Right. Yes. And so exactly. when you get it that, okay, wait a minute, somebody needs this. And I usually tell my people we're being paid in my estimation for five things. There are five things that our clients are willing to pay us for. And they pay us for our knowledge, which is what we know. They pay us for our expertise, which is our knowledge and action. They pay us for our time to show up and do it. They, they pay us for the value, the overall value that we bring or that we create in their space. And they pay us for stress relief. Mm. That's what they're paying us for. And so while we may not know how to look at one piece or one part, let's look at the whole thing, right? It's kind of like the whole, what is it? The, I've heard it with multiple um, names included, but you know where it, the little boy goes up, let's say to Monet or whoever it is, or Bango, and he has them draw a picture on a napkin. And he says something like that's $15,000. And he said, but it took you five minutes. And the whole thing is, no, it took me X number of years to be able to do it in five minutes. That's, that's right. the difference between knowledge and expertise, right? So when people are hiring us, they're not, it's not what we know, but it's what we know. And we know how to do it in a way that they can't do it. I, I know what to do on the toilet to fix it, but I don't have the expertise to do it without creating a bigger problem. It's going to cause me stress. It's going to take me more time than it's going to take them. And it's not worth it from a value perspective. I love those five things you mentioned, knowledge, expertise, time, value, stress relief. You know, in the middle of pandemic, I remember seeing somebody on LinkedIn, they post, you know, what should we be doing? And, and somebody just simply put, create value. Yeah. But I liked it how you define these, these three other, four other pieces to it, you know, because there are, you know, you're creating value through less stress relief and, and, and you know, giving people more time and, and providing expertise that they didn't have beforehand or, you know, specific right. knowledge, right, that you have. And I love that, those definitions I think that's fantastic. So now, so now we have this shipping problem that you've defined. Now let's go to the next part, which is this. Um, it's okay to have a business, and it's okay to have a profit. Yeah. And and uh, I behind. I think I have it behind here, but um, Michalowicz, um Profit first. Yes, profit first, right? And and you you know you have a coach of coaching of in terms of this concept of profit. Why is this so difficult? in in the creative world. So first of all, conceptually, why why do you see yeah. it so much? It's just why do people not think it's okay to have a profit? Okay, so I'm going to tell you even taking a step back from that. I have been I'm not shocked anymore, but at the beginning of my journey 20 something years ago in the creative space, I was shocked that people didn't under 
small business owners didn't understand the difference between salary and profit. Mm. Right. I'm not talking about how it runs through your taxes as an LLC or sole proprietor or an escort. I'm talking about the mental separation of this is what I get paid as a salary to work in my business. And this is a profit that I make by investing in my business and taking a risk. And they couldn't separate it to them. It was one lump sum. And so first and foremost, if we can separate out what, what does it mean to have a profitable business separate from paying your salary? I've had people say to me, oh yeah, my business is profitable. And then by the time you get to the end of it, there's no salary for them, but it made $3. And they look at that as profitable, yet they never got paid. Yeah, yeah. And so, right, that, oh gosh, I, that's that's that, um, we want to eradicate entrepreneurial poverty. That is why I get behind Profit First because I have, I've lived it and I've seen it where we are willing to do with so much less than we need to do with. We have an ability to almost be okay with under earning and in a weird way, even more so on the creative space, because there's not a hard product sometimes that doesn't come out of our mind or out of our conceptualization. And so we don't know how to price it. The first thing that I help my clients do and those that I work with is to really understand it. Number one, if you're working in your business, we should make a salary. And that, here's the question I always ask them that kind of gets them. Would you allow your son or your daughter or someone that you love dearly to do what you do the way you do it and make what you make? Great. And I'll tell you that question leads to tears nine times mm. out of 10. Oh my gosh. No kidding. Right, because they realize that they are bringing in so little for what they put out there and they wouldn't let their son or daughter do it. They wouldn't let somebody they loved not be compensated the way they're not being compensated. And then we have to get to the point where you own the business. So who's allowing this, right? So then we have to kind of really start grasping and grappling with that ownership piece that I own this business. And so the only person who pretty much is screwing me is myself and I need to fix that. (laughs) Right. I mean, it's the truth. I say it that brashly, but it is the truth because, and my tagline on all of my email correspondence is what you own, you can change. So Mm. once I can help them understand that they actually own it because they own the business, they own the pricing model, they own the value statement, you own it. And when you own it, you get to then affect change that takes you where you want to go into what you want to do. So then one step past that is helping them understand what is a fair salary for you. Now, granted, when you're starting a business, your salary might be very different than if you have a more mature business. We all get that at same for profit, but at least saying here's what's salary and here's what's profit. And now how do I check my pricing model to make sure that I am pricing in a way that it covers all of the cost of goods and cost of sale, covers the operating expenses, pays me a salary, saves out to pay taxes, and creates a profit in the company to create that sustainability. Because if you don't create sustainability, saying that you're profitable because you have a positive number at the bottom of a profit and loss when you never paid yourself is not sustainable. That's right. That's right. I, I love this these nuggets um, of wisdom that you're providing. And, and I'm hoping those in the audience who, if you are already an entrepreneur, if you're thinking about becoming an entrepreneur, you know, there's these two concepts that you've met, uh, multiple huge concepts. Number one, you're, you're, if you're creating value in the world, right, you should be getting, you should be earning money as a result of it. And, and it's, and it's okay, you know, yeah. because, you know, you'd be paying somebody else for that value. If, if you know, once again, go back to the plumber example, you'd be paying the value because they're doing something that's, that's something sure. you can't do effectively or as confidently, you know, when your ninjas or GI Joes go down the toilet, you know, as you mentioned beforehand, you know, and, and, but the, but also understanding the difference between once again, I love that salary versus net profit. It's, you know, you, you, I agree. You are not a profitable business if you're not paying yourself as the owner. And, and I was working with um, some new clients that I, that I have. And one of the things they were doing was they, they weren't paying themselves very much. And, and then they start talking about investing. And I said, hold on a second here. How can you invest when you're not paying yourself? Now they're once again, they had a small set, they had, they were, they're paying some of something and they were paying for their mortgage, so to speak. But 
their value that they were creating their world was higher. And interestingly enough, I didn't even know after the coaching session, they immediately start raising pricing. <laughs> right, right. Right. Because they had this intuition like, oh, wow, we are. And, and of course, sure enough, their background is quite extraordinary. You know, that's the interesting thing, right? It you know, is the people the you're working with, thing. you know, these are people who are or, or been with large firms and done amazing things. Yes. And 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 then they didn't have the confidence to pay themselves for whatever reason. It's fascinating. I just, I think, I it's think super sometimes fascinating. they so, we so take for granted something that we know or that has come easy or that we've learned over years. It's kind of that, that thought call, you know, when like you're a little kid and you think every other family is like your family. And then mm. you go into that family and you're like, wait a minute, they, they're doing things different at dinner when you're invited over than what we do in our home. And I think sometimes we assume that if we know it, Everybody knows it and therefore it has no value. And it's not true. It's just not the case. Um, and so that's why, again, I don't want to discount the easy part to make the business. Why not make it easy? Why does it have to be so difficult? But I'm going to say this too, because I work primarily with women um, or with, you know, husband and wife teams in business, I think there is an extra layer that women struggle with that men don't. And my husband and I were just having that conversation this weekend. And I asked him, I said, have you ever felt guilty going to work as if you shouldn't be getting up and going to work? And he was like, no. And I said, well, so many women feel guilt around Mm. working because there's this guilt that I'm not being with my family or doing what I'm supposed to do. And every, every family has to make the decision on what that looks like for them. Right. I've been on all sides of it. But my husband has never felt guilty at getting up and making a living for our home. And I didn't have to feel guilty supplementing that for our home because that's what we wanted slash needed for the life that we were trying to create. And so when you add that dimension on for some women and you add on the dimension of many of them. Um, in the creative spaces, some of the ones I work, work with are more like 40s and up sometimes. So th- there's just this, all these layers um, of should I charge? I should be, this is homemaking on mm. steroids. Should I be doing this? Or it's women to women sales, which is a totally different thing. You've got a woman designer going into a home, talking to the woman of the home. And sometimes the woman of the home can spend the money and sometimes she can't. And so then the the dynamics are just all over the place. And so if, you know, the interior designer, for example, doesn't fully understand what they do and how they do it, and they don't understand the value of what they're bringing to that home. And then you've got another woman over here who maybe isn't making the money herself and she's trying to allocate family funds. It just creates all this weirdness. Whereas if you can go in and fully understand this is what we do and how we do it, this is the value we bring. This is the stress relief we bring. This is the timing that we're going to do it for you. So you can go do something else. If you can actually articulate those things, it kind of creates a price outside of me as the creator. Mm -hmm. And so then Mm -hmm. it's easier to stand up for that. One other thing I'll mention I'm a, I'm a firm believer that when we set our pricing and we look at profitability, I like to do it what I call top down and bottom up, meaning a lot of people and Mike McCallowitz and I had this conversation on my podcast about the your revenues. That is a huge, huge, like we would call it a vanity metric, right? It's kind of mm-hmm. like what you see out on Instagram, how many likes that I get or whatever, little hearts, same kind of thing. It's a vanity metric because I've worked with companies that made millions in revenue and they didn't get paid and they didn't have great profits. They've lost money. And then I've worked with other companies that make two, three, four hundred thousand in revenue and the, and the owner's getting paid great. And so when you're only looking at a revenue number and you're not looking all the way down that PL or that income statement, we can get twisted up. So I like to say, sure, tell me what your sales goal is, but now let's work it down to see where the money falls out. But then I like to flip it and go, let's do a bottom up. What do you need to have in profitability? What do you need to have to cover the tax exposure? What do you want to be paid or have profit here? What are your capital opportunities? Where do you want to go? What are the expenses? How can we hold to that? Those all add up to your gross profit. 
what is your gross profit as a percentage of revenue? And so then you can work it top down and bottom up and it just helps you stress test it to really make sure everything's covered instead of only looking at your financials one way. I love this, man. And I, I wish we had uh, 15 hours to talk about it because we are talking the same language so much. And But you, there's these added elements that you mentioned too, once again, of we have creative design people and then you have women and, and the own dynamics that are there. Uh, yeah. We we had in our home, we have four kids, we had to make these decisions. But it's interesting, I was the same, I was the same way as your husband. I, I never, I thought it was my duty and responsibility to go to work right. each day, period. You know, that was my duty and responsibility to to provide, right? You know, that was my yeah. number one. Well, my wife's number one was to take care of our kids. That was a decision we made at home. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, it's just a decision we made, you know, that was for us. And um, but there's sacrifices when you make those decisions, right? You know, and and you know, you may have less of whatever, right? Less material things you might have, but but the value, you know, hopefully you're finding value on the other side, right? Of what you're contributing. Once again, right. the things that the values you think is important for your home and what you're trying to do. You know, there's going to be a, a cost, right? Of all the things that we do. <laughs> no matter no matter which way you go. And, and that was right. one of the beauties of, I mean, you know, we made the decision we wanted slash needed to make at the time, but I was also able to start my business small and my business has grown. I mean, we've talked about my kids being one and three, my kids are 24 and 26 now. So, you know, now there are no reins on it outside of my husband going, when are we going to retire? And are you done yet? <laughs> um, which is not, I'm not, and no, but I'm just saying, you know, the be beautiful thing about owning your own company is that you can take it up and take it back as you need to, right? You can increase it and decrease it. And I have had the beautiful blessing and luxury of being able to allow my business to grow at the rate my kids grew, still putting boundaries around it. Like I can remember um, when they were both in marching band, they were on drumline. And I made sure that when I traveled, I was home by noon on Friday so I could go to the Friday football games for nine years so that I could watch those boys on that field. Like there were certain things that I made sure um, that we protected in the home, but that I still got to do something that I love to do around it, which also meant, Carl, that even if I worked 20 hours a week, it needed to be the most profitable 20 hours, mm. like even more profitable. That mm -hmm. I think is what pushed me more towards the profitability side was if I only have 10 hours a week, 20 hours a week, whatever that time is, it needs to be as profitable as it can possibly be because I don't have time to waste. That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. And, 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 and once again, once again, it's clearing those priorities. And, and I, I feel sometimes honestly, having a more restricted time schedule forces you right yes. to focus on those things once again. So in this particular, obviously it's going to be about a month later when people hear this, but um, tonight my daughter's playing in a soccer game. I want to be there tonight. Um, I chose to do that as opposed to flying in the night before instead of, and so I'm going to have a 6 a.m. flight. So I have to get up at 3.45, but that's worth it to me, you know? That's right. So, so, but I'm, I'm filling in today and doing as much as I can on this Monday. So on the Monday night, I can see a game and sacrifice a little sleep, but that's worth it to me, right? To be present right. for that game. These are, once again, these decisions that people have to make, they're not right, they're not wrong. It's just the values that we have, you know, respectively going towards that. You'd mentioned something in our prep of this call I wanna to go towards now, which I think is really important. And I, my my past history, and you were, I loved it when you were saying, you know, these, these accountants who don't talk. Well, I, I, I can appreciate that because I remember talking and doing presentations to, we had a, a weekly call with our, not call, it was in person with one of the companies I worked for. And there were people in the room every time I could guarantee they were going to fall asleep. It was like narcolepsy. I'd talk about numbers and then just immediately they'd fall asleep. Yes. Okay. So you, you were talking beforehand of the same thing has happening with some of your clients. You talk about numbers or KPIs, because you just came off of oh, yeah, 40 people in your coaching workshop in Atlanta, mm -hmm. right? And, and now you're trying to follow up so they can validate whether their strategic plan is going to work. Correct. So, <laughs> so talk, let's talk about briefly about KPIs. You have this and they fall asleep. They have narcoleptic equivalent, right? They're just, yeah. why do we have to put a number on this almost feeling, right? Right. How, how do you tackle that? Right. When, when people don't want to track, they don't want to monitor. And, and then, and then also addressing another fact, which is how do you make sure they're not vanity metrics? How many likes we're getting on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, right. right? You know, versus 
something that's actually a, then a metric that's going to make a difference. So can you talk about those two things? One is, is why the importance of doing it and then the importance of the right type of number? Yeah. So a lot of creatives have a, I'm going to say a lie that they've been telling themselves, right? Because I, I think it's a lie that they can't do math or that math is mm. difficult or that mm. financial fluency is unattainable to them. I think some of it is the creative brain. And I think some of it is um, maybe some of our culture towards women that men are better suited for the math and the science and the women are better suited at the language and those kinds of things. Whatever it is, they somehow believe that that is, they, they think I didn't go to business school. I don't have a business degree. Therefore, that's outside of my ability to understand. And I call, you know, BS on that. It's not true. You can right. understand it. Does it mean you're going to understand it like your accountant or your financial advisor? Maybe, maybe not, but you can understand enough to be able to use those, that intrinsic data to make decisions. So the first thing that I do, Pearl, before I can even get to the KPI piece is help at, start talking to them about what they do and what indicators they have in their own business. So for example, you're going to design this space. What are some of the indicators that tell you that you're done designing? What are some of those deliverables? How do you measure? Is it done? So that I get them to start thinking within the work that they're already doing and feel competent at and realize they've built in measurements for that, whether they have explicitly noted them on the calendar or not. They have that final design meeting that says we're done. Now let's go present it. They have that final budget conversation. I mean, they're dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars. They do this all day. They're measuring length and width and height. And, you know, they're calculating all day long. And so what I try to help them do is first is go, okay, here's where you're already really great. Now let's take that same knowledge base and let's look over here. So when it comes to KPIs, I don't know that I get so much pushback on not wanting to as not knowing what it is. The term feels overwhelming. Mm. If I just say, you know, there's a great book, Measure What Matters. Yep. It's really saying what, yep, mine's right over here. Right, right there. <laughs> yep. Is really saying to them, what does matter? The whole reason, I think that term KPI sounds so accounting-y, mm -hmm. uh, right? Financially. And they're like, oh, I don't know those words. That's not me. And I'm like, no, no, it is. What do you need to measure? And how do we look to say you are successful? How do we look to say, here's a goal and I met it? You know, when you talk smart goals all the time, one of the very first thing is time bound, which is a metric, right? And the M is measurable. And so when we start breaking it down into bite-sized pieces, then they start going, okay, I think I can do that. But I see the challenge is them not understanding what to measure and mm. then when to measure and how to measure. And so really... Like it, it, it even is as basic as um, I have a my director of success. Um, she's awesome. And one of the things that she does with my clients when we do our onboarding and we're helping them go through this is we get, help them go into their calendars and go ahead and set aside time to measure what matters. I mean, mm. it's that that granular, if you will, just choosing to measure and then adding it in, looking for how do we know that we did what we said we were going to do? So sometimes even just breaking it down like that and then having that framework that says, what am I going to look at? So even on likes, the thing I will say to them on vanity metrics, for example, even if you looked at your financials, all right, you hit that goal. But now let's look at your gross profit. Is it at the percentage or the number that we need to sustain a healthy business? Mm. If it is, okay, good. Then, then that's a good metric. Let's keep going. I had a client a couple of months ago that called me all upset because she had not hit her financial goal. And I said, well, let's, let's look through all of your financials. Well, come to find out she had lower revenues, but she had higher gross profits, even mm -hmm. higher gross profits than if she had hit her revenue because we had made some dis other strategic decisions with how to price and how to manage cost of goods. And so she actually was better off throughout every other part of her PL, but she had gotten hung up in her mind on gross revenue, total oh, revenues. Yeah. Right. And we had to flip it back and say it's all these other pieces. So I think when people understand the building blocks of their business, it's easier to set a metric. But a lot of times they don't they don't either know what to measure, 
They don't know how to look at it in relation to other measurements and they never put time on the calendar to go do it. This has been awesome. Um, Michelle, so how with your clients, speaking of KPIs, how do you measure success with your clients? I'll tell you some of the best ways I measure success with my clients is having them really understand why they do what they do. I consider it success when they call me back and come to me and say, my family sees what I'm doing as an added benefit instead of stressful or as something, you know, they're not Mm. on the guilt. So then they feel like what they're doing is bringing money in. And it feels like it's not only valued by their clients, but is valued within their home, Mm. which is a really big deal. I remember I'm going to segue on this one time. My, because I had given up multiple six figures for how many years in the, um, in the space of software, one, one year, my husband sat down and calculated what I would probably still be making had I stayed in software. He stayed. So we kind of have a good idea of what that might've looked like. And he sat down with our two boys and said to them, you know, this is the millions that mom stepped away from that she had the ability to make because we thought that raising you two in this way was so much more valuable and we wouldn't go back. We wouldn't change it, but you need to understand, like you said earlier, there's a cost. We want you to see the value of what mom has done in the home and then what she's bringing in and what she's doing in other ways so that you are looking at the full value of what it takes to run a family. And that was huge. I mean, I was in tears because he knew and recognized and he made sure that our kids understood that value shows up in more than just money. Value shows up in a lot of ways. And so if I can teach that and impart that to the women and to the families that I support to understand that value is so much more than just money. Therefore, success is so much more than money. Now let's create what their path to success is or what they view as successful, right? And then when I help them reach that, that's that's the best. That's the best. Michelle, I am so happy you shared um, it's, it's really, and there's something that's really come out through this is I, I don't need to ask you about your personal side because it's a part of what you do, do and who you are. Um, and, and that question of, of true value is, I love that people calling you back and saying, I've made a difference now at home. I've made a difference now with my clients. Um, th- that's a true measure of success. And, and uh, once again, I, I hope this is one thing I said in a couple of podcast to go is your success for each person should be clearly defined by your purpose and what you're trying to accomplish. Right. Right. So my success value is not your success value, Michelle. Right. But, but what you had shared, I think is tremendous, right. Which is people understanding why they're doing what they're doing, what their purpose is, and, and that they now feel that they are making a true contribution at home, right. you know, in meaning in terms of they feel like they bring worth, they, they are not stressed out. Way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All those other yeah. indicators you refer to. Right. I think that's absolutely tremendous. So um, there's, a, there's a Bible verse that says, what is the profit of man to gain the world and lose his soul? That's right. Yeah. And when you think about that verse and you think about it in relation to anything, right? It's, am I profiting over here and losing? Like, like, I don't want to profit and make all this money and then lose a relationship with my husband and my children or my family. That's why I think the bigger goal is to define what your what is valuable and what is successful and how you want your family to function, whether it's you and your two dogs or you and your four kids and your wife, whatever it might look like. What is that? Much, what legacy do you want to leave in the world? Now, let's take your business and fit it into that. Um, and not vice versa, because then again, what we own, we can change. If we're chasing one dream and not keeping the bigger picture in mind, it's easy to gain what we wanted and be miserable in the process. Yeah, Michelle, I think we both know too, when we go to somebody's funeral, they do not throw up their resume or their bank account numbers because nobody cares. Nobody you know, cares. You know, nobody yeah. cares that parts. And then you and I have both been there at amazing ones and, and, and it does not take place. And, and, but, but the things that you mentioned, 
And I love how your husband went and measured your sacrifice and your potential earnings in the world, but what you would have never sacrificed that it was worth the sacrifice to the difference that you had for your boys. For our family. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I love that. And anyways, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And and I think what's important for everyone listening is that w- that was worth it to you. That was worth the value to you. But it also put you in tears because you you realized the sacrifice you had made. But right. once again, what, what, who so much greater value, right? You know, once again, right. you know, right. for you, you know, once again, and it's for you always and choices. Family. that's right. right. It's always choices. I mean, I was still running a small time business at home and growing it as the kids grew, but we just wanted, we wanted our kids to understand that value was more than how much you made or value was more than, than some number that, that there was value in how you lived your life and how you helped others and how you, you know, success just shows up in more than money. That's right. Shell, uh, what is a book that you'd recommend to our audience? Well, of course, Profit First. Of course. Of course, Profit First. But I'll tell you, and I think I mentioned this one to you, is The Vision Driven Leader by Michael Hyatt. That's been a really a good one lately um, for my, my team where we've been really looking at kind of fine-tuning that vision and what it means to move out of um, the manager leader of every little thing and moving up a level, right? And so that you are now directing instead of all the doing. And so that's been very helpful for my teams that are growing. Great recommendations. Uh, yeah, Prof. First by Michael McAllowitz and uh, Vision Driven Leader by Michael Hyatt. And um Great, great explanation. Where, where can people find and learn more about you, Michelle? Sure. So you can find me at my website, which is scarletthreadconsulting.com. I'm on Instagram at scarletthreadatl. And you can find me on Facebook at Scarlet Thread Consulting. And I'm on LinkedIn as Michelle Williams. Perfect. Thank you for sharing all of those. And we'll make sure that gets uh, put in all of our publications. Um, Michelle, this has been a privilege having you on the Measure Success Podcast. Thank you so much for being on it. Thank you so much for having me, Carl. Absolutely. And to everyone else in the audience, we're thanking you. I hope you enjoyed uh, this really fun and and I think uh, very meaningful uh, podcast that Michelle presented. Thank you so much for that. And we're thanking you to listening and wishing you the very best at measuring your success. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Measure Success Podcast. We'll see you again next time to learn from the best. Remember to subscribe now to get future episodes.